morning. Let us bow for prayer. God, creator of the universe, you're also the word of life. And you made yourself manifest in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have a living, breathing example of what it means to be obedient to you. And pray this morning that you will take the words from 2 Corinthians and magnify them in our hearts so that we might live lives that are more pure and more holy with each passing day. Bless this service, bless the hearts that are here, and bless us as we go forth from this place to live out our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning is my personal life verse, which is the series that we are studying right now, encouraging all of you to have a life verse so that when Rob has to do your service of remembrance, he has somewhere to start. And we want Rob to have somewhere to start, don't we? Um and we want him to have somewhere to end. So uh, this is mine. It is written down for you. If my life should end while I'm still a member at Cherokee Presbyterian Church. So um, you can just take my sermon and read it, you know. Um, but God's word is a joy to my heart. And I hope his word is a joy to your heart as well. From 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If anyone could write 2 Corinthians 5.17 with authority and conviction, it would be the Apostle Paul. You see, his life exemplifies what it means for the old to become new. It provides an intimate portrayal of his transformation, and it challenges us to consider whether we too have embraced the truth and promise of regeneration. Paul was born into a Jewish family and schooled with the best rabbinical education a young man could receive. He learned the law and he learned it well. Until about the midpoint of his life, Paul was a member of the Pharisees, embracing their beliefs with great zeal. He was especially critical of the new sect of Jews who were following the way, those who believed that Jesus was the Son of God who lived, died, and rose from the dead to forgive sins. Paul made it his mission as a Pharisee to persecute these new believers who did not observe the traditional Jewish laws. 
It is believed that he began his persecution by going from synagogue to synagogue, rooting out members of the new sect and sending them to Jerusalem for punishment. Later, he moved to going to house to house. At the time, like the Carly Simon hit of 1977, it could probably have been said of Paul, nobody does it better. Paul embraced the role as the persecutor par excellence with pride and purpose. In Galatians 1.13, he describes himself this way. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Then an experience literally stopped Paul in his tracks. You're familiar with it. Like a fire-breathing dragon intent on incinerating the new Christian community, he marched toward Damascus to continue his torturous treatment when a light from heaven surrounded him. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Only an encounter like this could take the old Saul and make him the new Paul. At that moment, physically blinded as he was by this light, Paul received God's call and continued to Damascus with the assistance of the men traveling with him. And he became as zealous for the gospel of Christ as he had been for the persecution of the new church. Now, I've not had such a dramatic conversion experience. But when I read 2 Corinthians 5.17 in college, which is when I started consistently studying the Bible, it summed up for me what the gospel is all about. God takes a person who is lost, who is clinging to every worldly thing that they can cling to. God reveals himself in Christ and makes that person a new creation. Like most of us, and especially in my earlier years, I had so many doubts about my worth and purpose. I relied far too much on the opinions, real and imagined, of others. Having inherited the perfection gene, I set myself up with unrealistic expectations, and when I failed, in my mind, I failed exponentially. I measured myself by performance, by the outward appearance of success. I found it very hard to forgive myself and realized at that point I had always had the tendency to avoid situations where I might fail. Still, there was a drive to perfection that I did not understand and could not tame. It tortured me, and I felt trapped. Until the Holy Spirit revealed this verse to me, this was the beginning 
of God's true transformation of Harris. It opened my heart and my soul to the heart-changing power of God to actually make a new creation out of something or someone that had already existed in a very flawed form. I wondered, could he, would he actually do this with me? Could he rid me of my deep insecurities? You see, deep down, and most of you may have a perfectionist in your life, deep down, perfectionists are among the most insecure people that exist in this world. I hated admitting there were things I did not know. Therefore, I had an opinion about everything. My academic drive was to be able to answer any question thrown at me in a classroom and to get the best grades. My personal drive was to prove to everyone around me, and I have three people here this morning, well, two, really. One hasn't seen this bad, 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 bad side of me. Two who can testify to the truth of what I'm speaking to you today. My personal drive was to prove to everyone around me that I was right and that they were, well, they were not right. Amen? <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Some of you know that I have six friends that I met 50 years ago this September as a freshman at Erskine College. We call ourselves the Seven Sisters. They loved me then, though as a perfectionist, I did not feel that I deserved their love, and I could not release myself to it. And they love me now. They've loved me through all those insecurities, all those doubts, all those failures. They've forgiven me over and over. They've taught me. And they've helped me grow in ways I can't even describe. But they had a phrase that pretty well described me back in those days. And that phrase was, this is my opinion and it is true. I'm telling you, I don't think y'all have seen that side of me. I can laugh about it now because although I'm still a person of deep convictions, I no longer think that my opinion is the only one that matters. And I have learned through some very difficult life experiences to listen to others without judgment. That's a far cry from a young woman who was always ready for a debate, especially when she believed she would always be proven right. Even when I was wrong, I could not admit it. And I'm ashamed to say I carried this tradition into my marriage, and it took me a lot of years to realize um, how demanding a perfectionist can be. But God slowly took something that was old, me. And I wasn't old. I was in my 20s, my 30s. And slowly but surely, 
He is continuing to transform me into something new. From my early 20s now into my late 60s, I have learned that God's transformative process is slow, but it is progressive. It doesn't happen overnight, but with many ups and downs throughout life. The greatest lessons and the most impactful experiences of my life have been those I would prefer not to have had. Yet they have been the very ones that God has used to mold me progressively into his image and to provide a long-term picture of his faithful commitment to and great patience with me. Those experiences have helped rid me of unrealistic expectations in this life, and they have helped me to focus on the hope that is in Christ. I am not immune to suffering, but I have been reborn to hope through suffering. For the past number of years following one of my seven sisters' examples, I have developed a theme at the beginning of each year. Now, this is not a self-improvement theme with resolutions and promises that I know I'm going to break before January 1st is finished. No, I, I don't do that anymore. It's a theme that helps me seek God and to continue this new life that he has given me. This year's theme is Blessed Assurance. And while I read scriptures and have my daily devotion, I record the assurances that God gives me each day in this notebook. And you can see he's already assured me of so many things. These may be Bible verses. They may be uh, quotes that I wrote down from Rob's sermon or Liz's sermon or from something I've heard on the radio or an Instagram post that just reminds me and blesses me with God's assurance that he's still working on me, and he's not finished. On March the 9th, I wrote a verse from Ephesians, also a book written by Paul, expressing these thoughts. In reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 echoes the meaning behind my life verse. The quote that I wrote down Rescued and redeemed by Christ, you no longer have a life of inward shame and fear. And that's by Winston Smith. And this reinforces my need to continue learning to let go of that need for perfection, to accept the frailties and the weakness of, weaknesses of my own life, and to love people in spite of their weaknesses and failures. This reinforces my need to continue life 
in Christ, not in my broken self. Both are reminders that I still need to hear. The old life may have provided permission to give lip service to God, to be opinionated and judgmental with others, and to be an insecure person on the inside who tried desperately in all the wrong ways to prove her worth on the outside. This new life that God has put in my heart, however, teaches me to worship God with a repentant heart and to pursue him through devotion and prayer. It teaches me to examine my relationships with others, how my attitudes, my motives, and my behaviors may bring harm or hurt or grace and love. The most difficult part, if we're doing it right of this new life, is to examine my own heart. To learn what remains of the old self so that I can give it to God to make new. And I want to caution you, a good look in the mirror can provoke a gut-wrenching confrontation with what is ugliest in us, with what is ugliest about me. But it is exactly what convicts me of what I need to confess. And for me, my mirrors are the Word of God, the devotions that I study, the Christian friendships that I enjoy, and the welcome critical evaluation of me, and I don't mean being ugly to me, but helping me evaluate what I did wrong, why I may have done it, and how I can do it differently by those who truly love and care about me. Then and only then can God continue to teach me that the old has truly passed away. And all things have become and are becoming new again. I close this morning with these observations from theologian Charles Spurgeon. My brethren, it was more difficult, if such, such terms are ever applicable to God, it was much more difficult to create a Christian than to create a world. What was there to begin with when God made the world? There was nothing, but nothing could not stand in God's way. It was at least passive. But my brethren, in our hearts, while there was nothing there that could help God, there was much that could and did oppose him. This is that look in the mirror. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love of iniquity, all these, great God, opposed thee and aimed at thwarting designs. Yes, great God, it was great to make a world, but greater to create a new creature in Christ. 
What you see standing before you is not who I am. But you cannot see into who I really am in my heart. Only God can see that. And only God can take what is old and no longer needed here and make it brand new. Give me a new vision. Give me a new perspective. Give me the ability to keep my mouth closed. Or as my mother would teach me in French, ferme la bouche. Change can be frightening. Admitting the need for change is the first step. But in Christ, change is a powerful agent of God's transforming grace. How do I know? Gone, and I truly mean gone, are the earthly insecurities that plagued me in my youth. I'm not a proud peacock or peahen marching around fanning my tail feathers, but there's a peace in my heart that God loves me exactly like I am and I no longer have to perform to earn that love. I, all that insecurity has been replaced with a deepening, deepening assurance of my worth in Christ. Gone is the need to be right, replaced by confidence in God's righteousness and holiness. Although, if I really want to be honest with you, I still like being right. We don't get perfection on this earth. I have learned that. It'll, it'll really be gone one day. Gone is the knowing need for perfection replaced with an understanding that God uses even my failures, weaknesses, and the messiness of my life to mold me into his image. My friends, gone is the old. If we are truly in Christ, behold, all things have become new. To God be all the glory forever and ever.